You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Domecast, the news and observer's political podcast. I'm Jordan Schrader, hosting this week, and with me are Don Vaughn, Andy Spey, and Will Dorn of the NNO. The major news this week, of course, is Hurricane Dorian, and our thoughts are with everybody affected by the hurricane. Um, but the major political news this week is redistricting. And um, this may sound familiar to people, but the legislature is going to have to redraw political districts again. Um, and so, Will, you've been reporting on this. Uh, what exactly is ha- has happened um, to uh, to lead to yet another round of of redrawing the political maps. Sure. So as uh, people who've been following the news here in North Carolina know, in July we had a trial um, here in uh, Wake County in the state courts uh, over the state legislative map. So for the North Carolina House and Senate, um, not touching the congressional maps, just the state legislature. Um, and on Tuesday this week, the judges issued their ruling from that trial. They ruled that the maps were unconstitutional. This was a big win for the Democratic Party, uh, which was one of the parties that had sued over the maps, also uh, anti-gerrymandering advocates like Common Cause, who had also sued, um, and obviously lost for the Republican lawmakers who drew these maps, and were found to have drawn them to basically unfairly uh, skew the maps to help Republicans win. Uh, There was evidence at the trial that uh, Democrats won the majority of the votes in the 2018 elections, but we're not able to win a majority of the seats in the legislature. And obviously we don't have, uh, you know, rules here that say, you know, our political representation has to be proportional. Uh, The judges found that it was essentially extreme enough that this was unconstitutional. There's a, there's a part of the North Carolina constitution that's been backed up by some state Supreme court rulings that basically says the will of the people needs to determine who represents the state. And what the judges found was that these maps were intentionally drawn in such a way that the will of the people wouldn't matter nearly as much as just the shape of the maps. Essentially, that the maps were drawn to subvert the will of the people. And so uh, starting... Is there there any kind of test for this or anything? I mean, is there... How will we know in the future whether this is violated? Is it just... There is no test. Um, It's, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just, you know, when you see it sort of thing. Um, Basically, the way... The way that the the challengers won uh, this case was that they were able to prove uh, basically that these maps were just extreme statistical outliers. The the trial actually focused a lot on statistics and math professors uh, testifying as expert witnesses and saying, you know, if you just, you know, drew, you know, 10,000 or a million or whatever maps of North Carolina you know, maps that would be this favorable to Republican politicians would only exist in, you know, a very, very, very tiny number of cases. Uh, you know, the in, you know, just any other way you could slice it, it would not be nearly as skewed as the maps are. Um, so th- there's no strict test that, you know, the the courts can look at to say like, okay, well, you know, if it's, you know, more than this percent or more than this number or whatever, then it's unconstitutional. It, it'll be a case by case basis um, going forward. If, you know, if we have future redistricting and future lawsuits like this, 
Um, but the, the result of this ruling is that the legislature only has until September 18th to get new maps drawn, which is pretty speedy. Um, so on Monday, they are going to come back into session and start working on that. We have both the House and the Senate redistricting committees meeting Monday. Um, and I have asked for agendas for those meetings, haven't gotten them yet. Um, so not entirely sure what they're going to be talking about. Um, but, uh, the judges laid out basically all the rules already in their ruling. Uh, the legislature doesn't, doesn't really appear to have much wiggle room to, to write its own rules for basically what kind of data to consider or not to consider. Uh, for instance, they're not going to be allowed to consider, um, past election results uh, when they look at this. So they can't look at political data, which obviously was what this whole trial was about. Um, the, uh, the ruling doesn't say anything about uh, racial data. So uh, it appears that they can use racial data if they'd like to. Um, they're also allowed to you know, protect incumbents a little bit. So, uh, And in the past, they, bring, they do these behind closed doors. They have somebody like um, Thomas Hofuller famously um, drawing them and then they come out with it and we see it when it's all done maybe there's some tweaks after that and in amendments but basically it's it's done behind closed doors so they can't do that this time right this process is going to be a lot more transparent than it's ever been really um and the judges essentially said that they are requiring this because they are a little skeptical of the republican lawmakers and basically think that they haven't really acted in good faith in some some past redistricting uh processes at the legislature. They, uh, there were allegations that uh, Republican lawmakers might have made uh, some misrepresentations and false statements to the court, um, basically regarding the process of the last time that we did this in 2017. And so the judges said um, there needs to be more transparency, not just for the judges who are going to be ultimately looking at these maps and deciding whether or not they pass muster, but also for the general public and for, you know, all the rest of the members of the General Assembly who are not in the majority. Um, so it was a, a pretty strongly worded ruling in that matter with the, with the judges basically saying, you know, we, we view the legislature through this very skeptical lens and we are requiring more transparency because of that. Uh, because, you know, we're, we don't really like the way that this has happened in the past and how it's been presented to the court and the way that they have described certain facts about what did or didn't happen. Um, and it looks like it'll probably be the legislators or at least legislative staff drawing the maps themselves. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Tom Hoffler, who drew, who drew the last maps and the 2011 maps as well, uh, he died last year. Um, so he won't be around. He was kind of a GOP redistricting guru. Uh, New York Times called him, I think, the Michelangelo of gerrymandering. Um, and so he's obviously not around to do it. And if the Republicans want to hire any other sort of outside expert to help them, they're going to have to get the judges to sign off on that person. Um, so, uh, so we'll see. Maybe they'll try to hire an outside person and go through the court approval, but obviously that's going to take a long time and the clock is ticking. So I wouldn't be surprised if we just saw uh, legislative staff and lawmakers themselves uh, taking the lead on drawing these. So some, you've been to some of these districts, and you and uh, our colleague Andrew Carter did a big project just recently on um, kind of what gerrymandering looks like on the ground. And um, so what are some of the ones that, that you found that uh, 
are sort of extreme versions of, of this kind of gerrymandering. Sure. So in North Carolina, we have a rule that's called the whole county provision, which means that for the most part, if it's possible to keep counties from getting split up in the lines, at least for the state legislature, it doesn't apply to, uh, you know, really to the federal lines, but for the state lines, if you can avoid splitting up a county, then you have to. Um, but some of the larger counties in the state obviously have too many people uh, to just be one district, so you have to split them up into multiple districts or combine them with neighboring counties or things like that. And so we looked at uh, New Hanover County and Guilford County. Um, and what what we found, and uh, it, it had come out in the trial as well, um, was that basically these are two examples of places where the lines were pretty intentionally and obviously drawn to grab certain uh, populations, uh, especially Democratic populations in those areas, and then stick them into districts, uh, like basically take them out of the urban districts in those counties uh, and stick them into districts that were like largely uh, rural, overwhelmingly white, and conservative districts. Um, So in Wilmington, you had a a really heavily black neighborhood south of downtown. Some of the census tracts in this neighborhood were 90% African-American that was carved out of the whole rest of New Hanover County and stuck into a district that is Brunswick County, Bladen County, Pender County. Um, It's a lot of, you know, suburbs and just farmland, very heavily conservative, and talked to people there and, you know, they said, you know, this really kind of is one of the reasons why we feel sort of disenchanted with the political process, you know, don't really, you know, want to vote because it feels like what's even the point, Uh, you know, uh, you know, we looked at the data and, you know, this neighborhood in Wilmington voted uh, about 95% against uh, Senator Bill Rabin, who is the Republican senator who represents that area, 95 of the people in 95% of the people in Wilmington in the area he represents voted against him. But obviously, he still won the overall district pretty overwhelmingly because the Wilmington neighborhood, even though it's several thousand people who live there, you know, state senate district is 200,000 people. So they weren't really able to make a difference in that election. Um, same in High Point. Uh, basically, the city of High Point is... Uh, pretty carved up. There's these really jagged lines that run all around the outskirts of town, kind of grabbing some neighborhoods, not grabbing other neighborhoods. But the the main part of town is uh, completely separated uh, from Guilford County in the state Senate maps and stuck in with Randolph County, uh, which is a very rural agricultural uh, area to the south of it. Um, And so these were some of the examples of just, you know, ways that the maps had been drawn to diminish democratic voting power. Now, on this ruling, the Republicans could have appealed it, um, but they decided not to. So uh, what's your sense of why they're essentially giving up and saying, yeah, we'll draw new maps? Right. So that was definitely surprising. We saw Senator Phil Berger uh, come out and say almost immediately after this ruling came out Tuesday night that he doesn't want to appeal. He thinks it's time to move on is what he said, and they're just going to get down to drawing the new maps. There's a few reasons why that might be, um, but probably it's probably most important to note that, I mean, they have 30 days to appeal this ruling, <coughs> and they have two weeks to draw the maps. So it's possible they could draw the maps, submit them, figure out, you know, if, if they can kind of get the maps that they want, you know, go ahead. If 
they can't get the maps that they want, they'll still have time to appeal. So, you know, it's not necessarily set in stone that they won't appeal, but they have said so far, basically, that they, they don't plan on appealing. Um, and that could be for any number of reasons. The judges were very clear uh, in their ruling that they do not want the current maps to be used in the 2020 elections, to the point where the judges said, we have the authority to move the 2020 elections, and we'll do that if you make us, if you don't get these maps done in time, especially for the primaries. So it could be that the lawmakers don't want to deal with that, want to you know keep the primaries as is, don't want to have to reschedule them. Um, could also be that you know North Carolina trial courts can't set precedent, and this was a trial court that made this ruling, and by appealing it, uh, they would end you know the Republicans would end up at the state supreme court, which has a six to one Democratic majority. They've been very vocal in the past that they don't think they have a good shot in front of the Supreme Court. And so it's kind of a, you know, why why spend the time and the money appealing this case to a court that, you know, you're probably going to lose that anyways and is going to set a much more official binding sort of legal precedent on this topic than just a trial court would. Um, so there's, you know, some some strategy behind it as well. But like I said, you know, we could end up seeing an appeal anyways. Um, there's so many reasons to appeal, to not appeal, uh, and, you know, they, they still have basically a month to decide. All right. So at a time when the legislature uh, might normally be off, they're back here drawing maps. And Don, they're also um, passing, trying to pass budgets, or at least pieces of budgets. Um, since, of course, the governor has vetoed the overall budget and the legislature hasn't been able to come up with the votes to override him. So they've broken it into pieces, and um, the biggest focus so far has been on uh, the raises that were in the budget and passing them separately. So uh, who's gotten raises uh, and who's potentially getting raises? So a lot of the state employees have gotten raises, but not the ones that are usually the bigger headlines, the teachers. I think those will probably go last. So these mini budgets, piecemeal budgets, budget bites, budget nuggets, whatever you want to call them, um, are what uh, House Speaker Moore and Senate Leader Berger said they're going to do to uh, get some of these non-controversial things in the budget passed. Um, since the fiscal year started over or over two months ago now. Uh, so what they did first, and they did it as a conference report, which basically means when it um, goes through committee and then on the floor and you have an up or down vote. So um, Republicans, of course, voted for it since they were the ones that, um, that pushed it. And Democrats voted for it because you don't want to not vote for raises for state employees. So uh, the vast majority of regular state employees got raises. The state highway patrol got raises. Um, let's see, um, alcohol law enforcement got raises. The people that didn't get raises are the UNC system, community college, and non-certified school employees. They came up in committee, but instead of the conference report where you do an up or down vote, they were a PCS, which is a proposed committee substitute, which means you can offer amendments on the floor. So what happened in committee is that Democrats started asking more questions, planning all these amendments, and then, um, more pulled it from the House calendar because there was going to be some more controversy. Some of the Democrats were saying, how come these non-certified school employees, which are basically the school employees that are paid the least, um, you know, they deserve more money. And so they decided just to scrap it. So what they can do when it comes to their committee again, 
um, is make it just a conference report, which means this is what it is, take it or leave it. And again, um, no one's going to say, no, you can't have your money when we're already a couple months into the fiscal year and people want their money, especially the um, educators, which will come up in a different um, different committee or uh, it'll be a committee conference report, not a PCS, probably for the teachers um, on the very first day of the traditional school year calendar, um, the Wake County. It's the principals and the assistant principals um, asked where basically where's our money, um, and it's it's coming as the division of principals and assistant principals for Wake County, which is the largest school district in the state, saying you know these are all the things we need. What's the holdup? Um, so the holdup is still the budgets. It's less standoff, more stalemate, I guess now since some things have gotten moving. Uh, so the teachers will come up on their own. The UNC system, community college, non-certified will come up on their own. And those will, were probably going to come this coming week, but given the redistricting, I could see that being pushed back because initially when they were talking about the mini budgets, Moore said that the state employees and then teachers would roll out and then they decided to take the week off. And of course, um, you know, hurricane came through anyway. Uh, so that could potentially get pushed back. So there's a chance that teachers will come up this coming week, but it could be after that. My guess is the other, um, the education employees will will come up before that. And is there anything else in the budget that's sort of a must pass or there's a lot of pressure to, to get done um, if they do more pieces of it like this? Or uh, is that the main? Well, they, they put through Medicaid transformation, which is basically just the switch of paperwork. It's not Medicaid expansion. Um, it's something that was already in the works, and it's just allowing it to go through, and Cooper vetoed that. Um, Basically privatizing it and putting it in the hands of insurance companies, managed care right. companies. So he signed the the raises, but vetoed transformation, uh, I think primarily because this is a health care issue, and he is drawing the line there, again, because the whole point of the budget standoff this summer has been over Medicaid expansion. Cooper wants it. Democrats want it. Republicans are saying no. The House had a type of Medicaid expansion they put up that never got a vote. The Senate has just said, no, we're not doing it. The Senate Republicans anyway, we're the majority. Uh, so that is that standoff has not been sorted out yet. Um, one of the other piece, well, not a piecemeal budget, but related to the, they announced at the time of the piecemeal budget plans, uh, is the Taxpayer Refund Act, which will give $125 back to individuals and $250 back to couples who filed their taxes jointly, assuming they paid at least that. And that already passed the Senate, so that has to pass the House. So there's a chance that will maybe come up first before the other raises or be the same few days. And that's another thing that while um, the governor and Democrats are saying if we have the surplus, there are a lot of other ways that you can spend that money uh, people like the idea of getting a check in the mail, and those would start going out um, late this fall. So I think there's a good chance, again, because Republicans have the majority in the House, too, um, for that to pass. Now, Cooper could veto it, but I, I don't know. It depends on what else comes across his desk and if there's something else he would rather spend that veto on um, and let this happen or not. So those are the things out there now. Uh, appropriations is set to meet on Tuesday, but again, they're all... The General Assembly's time should be spent on redistricting this coming week. So we'll see if this stuff happens. Okay. 
in the world of uh, campaigns, we've got two elections coming up, and um, the Tuesday is the day. So uh, everybody who's in the ninth district and the third district should go vote. Um, many of you can vote early, although the hurricane has thrown a wrench into that, Andy. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening with early voting in the uh, two districts where um, there are special congressional elections. Well, uh, there were 15 counties affected in um, the 3rd District and then a few more affected in uh, District 9. Uh, the two biggest, Mecklenburg and I believe Cumberland, uh, Mecklenburg was not affected, but Cumberland was, um, and we're waiting to hear uh, how many counties will extend early voting into the weekend. Um, that announcement should come later today. Uh, in the meantime, the Cumberland County uh, Elections Board announced this morning that they have reopened early voting at least Friday uh, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, at the Elections Board office, uh, which I assume is in uh, was, is probably in downtown Fayetteville. Um, and that will be open from... 11 to 7. Uh, oh, and then uh, at, also at a library, uh, the East Regional Branch Library from 11 to 7. Um, and so we voters lost some time to vote early, uh, but they may get some of it back this weekend. Uh, the Elections Board Director, uh, Ms. Bell, I believe Karen Brinson Bell, uh, said she has to assess the damage and uh, talk to county boards of elections about what resources they have available before making a decision on whether or not early voting will be re-extended. Uh, and then Election Day is Tuesday. So that's where we are right now, sort of waiting for an announcement on uh, early voting to be restored in a lot of areas. Okay. Election Day is Tuesday. And because the election is Tuesday, um, the president will be here on Monday. Um, we mentioned, I think, this, this last time, but uh, Trump will be in Fayetteville on Monday. He'll be doing a rally uh, at an air, at the airport there. And um, Don and Andy, you'll be there covering it. And uh, um, we'll have people, uh, others there and others uh, watching and, and covering remotely. Um, there may be other uh, travel by the president in North Carolina since we've had Hurricane Dorian here. Um, he may end up touring uh, areas affected by Dorian, we don't know yet, um, but we're watching for that as well. Anything you guys are going to be watching for at the rally, uh, either from Trump or um, anything else there? Uh, if he mentions the hurricane, we could see if he brings up um, the Alabama that was not part of it. Um, so there's a chance of that. He just was uh, um, tweeting about that again. So. Right. Um, and then also to build his border wall, um, the military is taking a lot of money from projects in North Carolina, including Fort Bragg, Seymour Johnson, Camp Lejeune. So he He's going to be not, right near there, right near may, Fort Bragg. Yeah, Fayetteville is the city that's next to, you know, it's basically a lot supported by, um, I'm sure they would have their own opinion about things, but it's... Um, um, supported by by Fort Bragg and, and the, um, the population there. It's a decent chunk of changes. And I mean, we, we wrote a story looking at the North Carolina projects that are getting defunded to help this wall project. And I think it was $80 million. It's a lot. And it's, it's I mean, North Carolina is going to be the one that's spending uh, or that's going to be paying for this. And so maybe he won't bring it up because 
You're not going to say, by the way, you know, this crowd that is basically, you know, like right next to Fort Bragg, um, you know, your kids aren't going to get this school and everything else. So he could not mention it all because I can't imagine people are going to be happy that um, that things aren't going to happen um, in the state. Or maybe he'll try to spin it in a way that the crowd likes. So we'll, we'll find out. This was his first... Uh visit to North Carolina since the send her back chant in Greenville. And so it'll be interesting to see if that re-emer- that chant reemerges and how he handles it because uh, last time he was criticized for not shutting it down. And then there were um, talks on whether or not he tried to let it simmer out. Um, so we'll see. Um, it's possible. He also talks about uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Um, Dan Bishop and Donald Trump have cast uh, Democrat Dan McCready in that uh, District 9 race as uh, a, quote, socialist, um, receiving money from Omar, which he later gave back, uh, and said other things about him support, supporting open borders and um, uh, not wanting to protect guns and supporting uh, sanctuary cities. These are all things that PolitiFact is fact-checked and will be ready, um, ready to you know, check him on again if he mentions them. So those are just a few things to watch out for. I'll probably mention Senator Tillis too, um, since he's already tweeted at least his support for Tillis, including about how he um, granted the federal money for Dorian after Tillis asked him, although that request came from Cooper, who's a Democrat. And that's just how it works. The governor's requested and then the feds approve it. All right, we'll be watching that, and uh, when we come back to you again with the Domecast, we'll uh, have all the election results from uh, the 9th and from the 3rd, and uh, we'll talk about them more then. But in the meantime, let's take a break and come back with Headliner of the Week. Stay with us. Headliner of the Week. 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 Who's hot? We're back with more Domecast, and now it's time for Headliner of the Week, where we pick a person, place, thing, idea uh, that's the most interesting or influential or important of the week. Uh, So let's start with Andy Spey. Who's your Headliner of the Week? Uh, I'm going to go outside of state lines uh, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where someone, some unfortunate person, uh, drove their Jeep Grand Cherokee onto the beach in Myrtle Beach. What they were thinking, I don't know, but they got it stuck there, and then it became sort of the obsession of uh, the national and local media for almost an entire day, if not more. Uh, There's this red Jeep sitting there on the surf, getting hit by the waves, and all the world or all the local media was watching to see, would it get swept out into the Atlantic? People taking uh, selfies with it. People taking selfies with it, yeah. I think uh, I saw a guy brought some bagpipes out yeah. and played like a very yes. morsel oh, hymn to the Jeep. <laughs> it, there were a lot of serious and bad things that happened as a result of the hurricane. Uh, and then there was this one stupid thing that happened that, of course, uh, got all of our attention and grabbed so many headlines. Uh, so I'm going with Red Jeep. And the uh, Jeep survived. Yes, right. this morning I saw a video on Twitter of a bulldozer um, with a chain attached to it, pulling the Jeep off the beach. So who knows if it's in working condition, uh, but um, it was not uh, swept away into the ocean. All right. The red Jeep in Myrtle Beach in the hat for headliner, headliner of the week. 
Uh, Will Doran, who's your headliner? Um, well, mine, you know, is also based on tensions. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with um, Eric Holder, the former Attorney General of the United States under Barack Obama. Um, he is now heavily involved in uh, some anti-gerrymandering efforts. Uh, he has a group that has funded several lawsuits against gerrymandering, including uh, the lawsuit here in North Carolina that just won. Um, and after the ruling came out Tuesday, he was uh, doing a bit of a victory lap about it um, and then proceeded to uh, basically get into a fight on Twitter uh, with uh, Phil Berger, uh, Republican Senate leader here. And uh, they were, you know, going back and forth about, uh, you know, who is more of a, you know, partisan hack than the other. And, you know, uh, Berger was accusing Holder of, you know, only funding lawsuits against Republican drawn maps, saying, you know, oh, you claim to, you know, care about fairness in elections, but, you know, show me any time that you've ever helped sue, you know, Democrat drawn maps instead of Republican maps and which is, uh, as far as I know, true. Uh, Holder's group is only sued against Republican John Maps, although they're listening and want to correct me on this. Uh, please reach out. But they did not correct uh, Berger when he uh, when he said that. But, uh, you know, Holder, of course, you know, was shooting back with, you know, why are you Republicans so scared of fair elections and blah, blah. But it's just, you know, it's not every day that you see the, the Attorney General of the United States uh, getting in a, a flame war on Twitter with uh, one of the top Republicans uh, here at the state legislature. Um, so that was a little out of the ordinary, a little unexpected. Uh, so okay. that's my headliner. And uh, Will didn't mention this, but the former president, Obama, uh, quote tweeted Will's gerrymandering story. So. It's true. He did. Yes. He did. Yes. Uh, if I, Speaking you know, I don't Will, meet Will my was... click goals because of that. I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> will was getting a little greedy and wishing that he had put the URL back in the, uh, in the new tweet. Uh, I think that's a little much to, to, to ask for, but, um, you know. Couldn't hurt. Thanks, Obama. Um, so always include the link uh, is the moral of that. Yes. But yeah, um, definitely getting a lot of attention. Uh, and uh, yeah, so this is a very um, Twitter-heavy uh, headliner segment. Do you have also, Don, Mine is not about Twitter. Twitter? It's about power, though, and it's about the hurricane. Uh, so I was working on a story yesterday about power adages and the triangle, of course, thousands and thousands of people in Carolinas are out without power. But they started showing up in the triangle. And as soon as I wrote the story about hundreds of people without it, uh, Duke Energy had already restored their power. And then went to update the story again. And there was a new one. And then another one had been fixed. So um, my headliner of the week is those workers for Duke Energy that went out and got the job done, which they um, the power outages, the, the big ones they described as, uh, they list the reasons. It was something about tree limbs or, or damaged equipment. Of course, as the night went on, um, they could not keep up with all the power outages, and it was in the thousands just between Wake County and Johnston County. Um, so I'm going to give those, uh, those workers for Duke Energy that were out in the storm and are expected to be out in the storms um, anytime this this happens and and get people's lights back on. Okay. Uh, well, I am going to go with a um, symbol of our uh, resiliency in the face of uh, uh, in the face of, of danger, uh, which is not the jeep. Although I thought it was going to be the jeep. <laughs> <laughs> I was prepared to take a victory lap. <laughs> Which is a symbol of our resiliency and also or maybe our tendency to make poor decisions. Uh, but, uh, but is the, is the Duke workers, 
Uh, and uh, we uh, we thank them for getting the power back on. We uh, uh, want everybody to stay safe out there as uh, as the storm moves past us. So um, that's it for Domecast. For Andy Spay, Will Dorn, and Don Vaughn, I'm Jordan Schrader. Catch us next time on Domecast. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.